0: This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. PennyMac is committed to advancing diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace, the mortgage industry and the community, including the promotion of affordable and sustainable home ownership. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply.
1: It's one of the one of the interesting things, you know, we we talk about in this country explicit and implicit racism. <laughs> it's interesting. Housing uh, and, and, uh, and access to housing and this homeownership gap is literally the result of explicit racism uh, in, in the United States.
0: This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. So today we are joined by the CEO of Maxwell, John Possonen. Maxwell is a software company that offers technology powered solutions for small to mid-sized lending teams for the entire mortgage loan process. Today, we'll be talking about what local lending teams can do to include more underserved borrowers and how lenders can benefit from being more inclusive. So John, can you start off by explaining your company's mission to help small to mid-sized lenders thrive? Essentially, why are local lenders important?
1: Yeah, and so we we focus, uh, thank you for having me, Katie, by the way, uh, great to, great to be here with you today. You know, we focus on small to mid-sized lenders across the United States. There's over 20,000 Uh, lending institutions in the United States today. And, uh, um, you know, we believe that those institutions are best suited to serve the local communities, right? They're present in their local communities. They understand the needs of the people in their local communities. They're able to give the kind of advice and counsel that borrowers need when they're making the largest debt decision of their life. Uh, And so, you know, to those loan officers out there that are uh, feet on the street and um, you know, meeting with real estate agents and borrowers on a day-to-day basis, whether that's on the phone or in person. Um, thank you, uh, because the, the, that is incredibly valuable. You know, it's interesting, study after study shows that uh, what consumers want is face-to-face, or at least to know that that person is local. Um, you know, in, this, in this age of digitization, that locality and that local knowledge gives people comfort for such a big financial decision. So um, we're excited to serve, uh, you know, those small to mid-sized lenders across the U.S.
0: Absolutely. So typically, what type of products do you offer your clients?
1: Yeah, so we offer our clients everything from uh, software to power their business, whether that's our point of sale, uh, which creates a great experience for the consumer, for the real estate agent, for the loan officer, uh, whether that's our processor edge platform that provides workflow automation, to make processors more efficient. Um, So uh, there's the software component. There's access to talent. So we provide processing, underwriting, closing, and QC services to our clients powered by our technology. And then we provide capital. And so uh, that means that when those lenders are ready to sell those loans after they've closed, um, we participate in that as as an investor. And and we may buy some of those loans and push those economics back to them. So um, software, tech enabled talent, and capital. Are, are the three areas that we support our clients.
0: It sounds like you make the industry much more competitive and allow these uh, smaller companies co- to compete with these industry giants.
1: That's right, I, I call it arming the rebels, right? Where uh, we're, we're arming the, the little guys to have you know the same or better experience, uh, the same or better process, uh, or the same or better economics as, as a large lender might have um, uh, because they're part of our platform.
0: And part of your company's mission or part of what your company does is you also help underserved communities. Um, Can you explain um, how this is part of your mission?
1: Yeah. So our vision statement at Maxwell, so our big, hairy, audacious goal, right? You're putting a man on the moon, if you will. So our vision statement is to turn the tide of homeownership and spread financial empowerment. And so what we see is homeownership is one of the main ways everybody knows that wealth is built. It's the American dream. Right, it's the way that uh, uh, um, people are able to pass wealth from generation to generation. We know that children of homeowners are more likely to go to college, less likely to take drugs, less likely to be involved in violent crimes. So, homeownership is so important for individuals and their families. And so, we want to turn the tide of homeownership. You know, when we started the company in 2015, homeownership was at its lowest point, I think, since the Lyndon B. Johnson administration. And so, we we set our our, our vision to turning that and to do it in a way. The second part of revision statement is to, to, with economic empowerment, financial empowerment, where we want to make people, uh, we want to empower people financially as they step into home ownership. And as you look at those homeownership numbers, you immediately start to realize that, you know, the, the segments of our national community that have been most impacted by home ownership are, are, are the Black community and the Hispanic communities, right? Mm-hmm. Black homeownership mm-hmm. rates in the United States are, are, are in the low 40 percentiles, right? The gap between white home ownership and black home ownership 30%. And you know, when the Fair Housing Act passed in the 1960s, it was 30%. Today, that gap is still 30%. And so um, you know, to have an impact on home ownership, we wanna see uh, some of these underserved communities get access to housing uh, because we know the impact it has for generations to come uh, on the individual, on the family, and on those communities.
0: Can you share um, any thoughts on how um, this problem developed the, the gap in home ownership?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the one of the interesting things, you know, we, we talk about in this country, explicit and implicit racism. <laughs> it's interesting housing uh, and and, uh, and access to housing and this home ownership gap is literally the result of explicit racism uh, in, in the United States. Right. If you cycle back, you know, 100 years um, even going back 75, 50, 75 years, you know, uh, the government was literally, you know, what we call redlining certain districts and, and not making, you know, funding available for financing housing finance in those districts. Right? Um, there was certainly a lot of implicit racism as well, where policies existed where this part of town uh, was zoned for single-family homes, this part of town was zoned for uh, other homes, right? I.e., uh, apartments. And over time, that created increasing segregation. And what happened is, you know, we we started this conversation talking about wealth building. You know, uh, uh, white uh, homeowners that have had access to those homes for multiple generations now have been able to build wealth. And so this is something that's persisted. And even though that kind of explicit racism no longer exists, um, you know, that problem exists today because of what happened 100 years ago. And uh, and so I think that's an opportunity to look at it and say. If policies created this problem, then potentially policies can be part of the solution as well uh, to help us get out of it.
0: Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we've seen a lot of initiatives pop up from multiple companies and uh, a lot of regulatory agencies uh, um, have come up after the recession. So you think with all of these initiatives, you would see this gap narrow, but actually the opposite has been true.
1: That's right. Yeah, black black homeownership is actually in the last Two decades since 2000, you know, Black ownership, Black homeownership has dropped about two to 3%. That's, that's a net loss of about half a million Black homeowners. And so, you know, while homeownership rates of other racial and ethnic groups actually remain constant or increased. And so, uh, yeah, we're actually seeing it become much harder. And certainly the economic environment, the housing supply environment doesn't help uh, um, provide that access today.
0: Do local lenders have any kind of advantage to reaching underserved borrowers?
1: One hundred percent, and you know you can see this in the data, right? You can see that uh, um, small to mid-sized lenders are much better at distributing credit to people in their community, right? So if you have a a, a community bank that's present in a largely black community, they're going to be really good at understanding how do I counsel and educate a, a borrower to get credit, right? And if you look at the data from Humda. Uh, I think the New York Fed released data as well, um, where you look at the the denial rates at small banks versus large banks. You can see that at small banks, mortgage denial rates are are more than half, or uh, sorry, less than half uh, that of large banks, um, according to Humda. You know, they're they're just much more willing to take a risk because they're lending off their balance sheet. Again, they know the borrowers. If I can throw in a little anecdote, I was mm-hmm. talking to a, a community bank president in in Kentucky. Uh, a few months ago. And, you know, I was talking about our services and we offer, you know, underwriters and prostitutes like, oh, we don't have underwriters at our bank. And I said, you don't have underwriters at your bank (laughs) who's making the credit decisions. And he said, our loan officers are making the credit decisions. I said, your loan officers are making the credit decisions. And, um, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, but he said, you know, there's no one better placed to make a decision about, about that person and their character than, than the one that knows them the best, right? You said our loan officers have an average tenure of, of 15 years, right? They they go to they went to the same school as the person getting the loan, they coached the their kids' uh, uh, soccer team, right? They might live down the street from them. Their best place to know is this person credit worthy or not, right? We've been lending to them and their families for decades, and to make that decision their best place. And so we push that the ownership of that decision all the way down to the front lines. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of like, that's not going to happen at Wells Fargo. Right. It's not Mm going to happen at Chase. Um, But a small institution can make decisions like that, as radical as that might seem, um, to, to ensure that they're serving their community well.
0: Right. It sounds like local lenders are more already embedded into the community. They have a more intimate connection with these borrowers.
1: That's exactly right. yeah, exactly. they have they have a more intimate connection. They're able to be present and understand the needs. and then, you know, uh, help help create special credit products, um, uh, again, largely because they're able to lend off their balance sheet, create special credit products that uh, that that might be more attuned to the needs of their communities. For example, you know black homeowner might not be able to make a huge down payment or, you know, as we know, um, um, African-Americans have much higher median student debt balances than white households. And so um, maybe we need to do something with the loan-to-value uh, ratio and debt-to-income ratios. And so, you know, they're able to be much more flexible at local level.
0: So specifically, what should local lenders do to encompass more underserved borrowers? Can you go over some strategies that they should take?
1: Yeah, you know, we we looked at our data and um, uh, around uh, around access to homeownership and 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 which lenders were successful at at increasing their uh, their loans to Hispanics to, to Blacks to Asians, and it, it was it certainly was not rocket science. But we <laughs> the big takeaway was if you have loan officers that are from those communities, um, you're going to do more of those loans. Uh, that's not rocket science. So I think that's where it starts. You know, if 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 it doesn't sit, over, uh, it, it doesn't happen sitting around a table, thinking, you know, hey, we need to do more loans to Hispanics. It starts with saying, hey, how do we hire more Hispanics into our into our team, so that we can speak into those communities and be trusted by those communities as a as a resource. But so I think that's where it starts, right? And then it's about equipping your teams to then educate and counsel. People through a lot of the common myths that might exist around getting access to, 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 to housing finance, right? You know, common myth is you need a 20% down payment. Um, that's not untrue in some cases, but we also know there's a lot of programs out there where you don't need 20% down. You can do 3% down, you can do 1% down. Um, there's special credit products that, are, that have been created. That, that lenders could have access to. Um, they may even be able to create their own under the CFPB and ECOA's you know, SPCP program. Starting to think through, one, let's let's hire a team that can speak into those communities. Two, let's think about what those communities need in terms of education and counseling. And then three, let's think about what are the products, special credit products that we can create or have access to already that we can educate our team to distribute and 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 make accessible to to individuals.
0: What kind of mortgage assistance programs or special products, if you can give an example, would be great for underserved communities?
1: Yeah, so for example, having a higher maximum loan to value ratio or a lower minimum down payment uh, for minority loan applicants, right? So um, if a lender can determine that most minority borrowers wouldn't qualify for their traditional products, they could create a product for them um, under under a NACOA program, uh, Equal Credit Opportunity Act program with a with a higher maximum LTV, for example, or saying, hey, we want to discount interest rates for applicants in this neighborhood because we may determine you know, their ability to pay, uh, to repay um, is not high enough. And so we need to figure out how we lower that payment. Um, or maybe we create a 40-year mortgage instead of a 30-year mortgage, or look at different ways to, to structure the program um to to give access just given their their financial situation because somebody is in in that credit box or has a certain income doesn't mean they're not a good credit risk right and i think that's important to remember um right that you know our goal in the finance industry is to is to assess risk right and and we traditionally relied on the data we've had available from from the credit bureaus and through uh, algorithms like FICO, right, to determine someone's credit risk. You know, mm-hmm. now with such such broader access to data, you have the ability to rethink some of that, right? Not not to say that, that the FICO score is wrong, but it can be just one indicator across many to look at to look at somebody's uh, credit worthiness, right? Don't miss the nation's largest show for successful mortgage pros. Originator Connect returns to Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, August 18th through the 21st. See us at OriginatorConnect.com. It's simply the greatest mortgage conference in the known universe, OriginatorConnect.com.
0: And specifically how do lenders benefit from offering these programs?
1: Well, I think lenders lenders benefit in in a couple of ways. I think one, uh, certainly um, they're investing in making their communities better, right? We know that um, uh, communities where there are more homeowners um, you're, you're, you see an increase in, in involvement in local elections, right? You see uh, an increase in sports groups and neighborhood groups. You see more people mowing their lawns, <laughs> right? And so um, I think lenders benefit because they're able to pour back into their communities and, and raise uh, raise the tide for everybody, including themselves, mm-hmm. right? we talk a lot about um, how how those communities have been invested. And I, I really admire what Dan Gilbert and the, and the, and the rocket guys have done in Detroit, for example, right. They really turned that city around. That was a shell of itself after, after, um, you know, a lot of the automakers uh, went through the, 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 the last couple of decades. And so um, that's a great example of you turn the community around it, it it raises all ships um, as the tide goes up.
0: Yeah. I can, I can see how that can be especially uh, rewarding for people who are local so, how can lenders better educate themselves to help borrowers access these programs?
1: I think it's um, you know I think it starts one with a willingness to do that. Um, as I mentioned, uh, 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 an interest in in hiring people from these communities so that they can understand the needs, right? You want to understand your your users' problems before you start creating solutions for them. so that that's the place to start. Um, you know, uh, have you gotten look uh, look at the look at the you know last uh, 50 people that were declined for a mortgage loan uh, from your institution over the last three months, um, reach out to them and and set up a focus group and understand what was that process like? What what led to that decline? What situation are they in now? And and then you you go away, you take some of those insights and you think, how do I create a product and an education to make sure that doesn't happen? Because my guess is if a lender was to talk to 50 people that were declined for a loan, they would probably find a good portion of them that it's like, wait a second, we could have given you a loan. Why didn't we tell you about X or Y or Z, Um, or we could have done this, or if you had only adjusted something like this or paid down this credit card over here, you know, you would have been applicable. Right. And, uh, and so I think um, spending time, understanding your, 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 your customer, your user uh, is, is really important. So it starts with the willingness and desire to do that. And then some action to dive into the user problems and what's creating those obstacles, and then going away and thinking about being creative. You know, I think our, if our industry doesn't step away and, and start becoming more creative about how we serve different aspects of our national community. Um, you know, we're just going to keep flogging 30 year fixed mortgages from Fannie and Freddie. Um, there's a lot more we can do uh, besides just that.
0: You just need the the willingness to be flexible and creative and innovative. It seems that's right.
1: That's right. And what's great about banks and credit unions, right, is that they have a balance sheet, right, and so mm-hmm. they have they have the ability to do that um, with with their own capital to invest their own mm-hmm. capital and, mm-hmm. and take advantage of you know a, a program like like this the, the special credit programs that uh, the CFPB and other regulators have have approved to be more. Actively discriminatory, if that makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, towards towards underserved communities. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last piece that a lot of people probably don't talk as much about is once you've got that person in a home, you know, you've given that loan to someone. What are you doing as a partner to them, a financial partner now, to sustain them in that homeownership journey? Right. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, COVID was a great example when COVID hit. Uh, you know, unemployment spiked. And there were a lot of government programs that poured into the market to support people who lost their jobs, which is great, but let's ensure that those institutions and in these communities are educating their stakeholders on, on, on these programs as well, so that they can stay in their homes. That we educate them how to get out of student debt so that they can lower their debt burden, um, as another example, right? So sustaining that homeownership ownership is, is almost as important, if not as important as, 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 uh, as that first financing moment that happens.
0: Yeah, keeping up communication, staying plugged into the community is definitely seems to be a huge factor. That's right. So another big issue that we see is the credit score gap between white borrowers and black borrowers. Maxwell's solution is to expand the credit box to include rental and purchase history. So can you explain um, the idea behind this solution and how this will stop discriminatory credit scores or just the gap in credit scores?
1: Yeah, and I think I touched on it lightly, but it's it's this whole idea of of helping to helping lenders to assess other things besides uh, besides um, credit score and some of the other factors that that drive into it to assess credit worthiness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, today in the U.S., there's about 26 million Americans that are c- considered credit invisible, right? That means they don't have a credit history, um, and you know, one in ten adults struggle to access credit. Um, because they've never done it before, right? They didn't get that credit card in college that you know <laughs> maybe your parents or my parents told us to get to make sure that we started building our credit. Um, and, and actually, you know, it's a good point that that has a sort of generational bleed on. Uh, if, if your parents don't know how to use credit and access credit, and so um, for somebody that is credit invisible or or has poor credit or doesn't know how to manage their credit, what else could we look at to determine creditworthiness? Rental payment history is a great example, right? Somebody who is able to take thirty percent of their income, twenty percent of their income, forty percent of their income, every single month, and has done that consistently for four or five years, two years, right? That shows a high, really high degree of ability to repay. Um, if there hasn't been a missed credit uh, rental history, like they're literally paying for their home with thirty percent of their income a month, that's that's enormous, right? In one of my prior jobs, I worked for one of the largest credit card companies in the world, and um, you know, we went into a third world country that didn't really have a credit bureau, and we wanted to issue credit cards. And so we we um, we had the idea, and this is now going on you know uh, uh, over a decade and a half ago. With the idea of saying, let's it, 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 with a lack of credit bureau, what else could we look at to determine creditworthiness? So we went to the local airline and we said, hey, can we get access to your frequent flyer database? Right. So the theory being, if somebody is traveling more frequently maybe they're more likely to you know, have a have a heavy a job and have income, so they mm-hmm. started with that. And then we said, hey, uh, do those same people have cell phones? So then we went to the largest cell phone company in that country and we said, hey, can we get access to cell phone records that we can match with the credit frequent flyer information and start to see who has what phones, often the upgrade, are they roaming, where are they roaming, how often are they using, what's their payment history on their cell phone bill? Um, and from that, we were able to craft a credit model that allowed us to underwrite um, uh, individuals in a country that didn't even have a credit bureau. So just being creative like that, right, is thinking through what are other things that give us a strong indication that are high correl- highly correlated to ability to repay um, over yeah. a period of time. I think you know one of the one of the things that we're doing is we launched Maxwell Capital, which is you know we're actually an investor in the loans. That means we're buying loans. From our clients and trading them in the secondary market. Um, what I what I hope for that group is that over time, we're able to create our own products because we have the data of who's getting access to credit, who's not. And in that bucket of who's not, who are some credit worthy, what does a credit worthy profile look like in mm-hmm. that denial bucket that we can create a product in Maxwell Capital that we can distribute across our hundreds of lenders in the United States to serve the needs of that segment. That's one of the ways we're, we're doing it and thinking about it.
0: So that's just an example of another creative solution that people could take. What country were you referring to, by the way, that didn't have a credit bureau?
1: Uh, I probably shouldn't mention it, but oh. um, yeah, just try to stay anonymous on it. But yeah, it was uh, a country in, in, in Asia.
0: Okay, okay, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I think part of the issue is uh, for encompassing these programs for some lenders is that people automatically believe that it's risky. Um, can you explain how better data-driven processes secure cheaper rates for, for borrowers and reduce lender risk?
1: Yeah, so risk, risk is an interesting topic, right? And so what, what, what does risk mean? So risk means um, I am giving you money and I need to get repaid. And the risk is that you don't pay me back, right? That's, that's what we're all basically trying to assess. Will you pay me back if I give you money? Mm-hmm. um and so what's interesting in mortgages that didn't exist in my prior career and you know consumer credit is that uh you know there's an asset involved um called a house that also happens to be appreciating um that I have recourse to so um we're able to lower the risk profile in mortgage because there's an asset that's there that we are we're able to have recourse to as as a lender and so assessing that risk is uh is a really important job and the easiest thing that we we Figured out to do in this country is to look at a bunch of correlations, and so that's how credit scores like FICO exist, right? They look at how often does Katie, you know, miss her payments on her on her on her credit cards or on her debt, mm-hmm. right? How often is Katie going and applying for new credit? Does that indicate that she somehow is going to run up bills? Um, how long has Katie had credit? Because uh, that drives part of your score. So we've. You know, FICO has looked at these factors and decided that these are the main factors today that uh, that decide whether KD is creditworthy or not. But again, I think the reality is that um, now that we have access to so much more data, right? So part of assessing risk is what data do we have access to? And I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, access today was fairly limited, right? So the credit bureaus rec- relied on these lenders reporting to the credit bureau on these scores. Now. With consumer permission data, you know we can get access to everything from you know your historical bank statements to historical uh, pay stubs and payroll data. Uh, we can get access, you know, again it's a lot of the, it would need to be permissioned by the consumer, but access to things like you know mobile phone records and um, other areas where we can start to draw correlations between somebody's ability to repay. And, uh, and, and, and other data that we can look at. And so I think that's where you know, it just sort of starts to really open up the world of opportunity uh, around, uh, around the credit box uh, to say, well, what determines that box? What data determines that box? Uh, what, what, and, and we now have access to it, whereas 20 years ago, we didn't.
0: Right. So be resourceful.
1: (laughs) That's right. Be resourceful, be creative. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of capital out there uh, and certainly an increasing amount of capital out there looking to help solve some of these problems. And so I don't think it's a capital availability problem. I think literally it's a creativity problem uh, in in our industry to, to begin to attack this. Mm
0: -hmm. Maybe also a willingness problem.
1: Perhaps, uh, perhaps I, uh, you know, maybe Um, I think, you know, as as the market as we come off this high in our industry of two years of of refi activity, you know, where uh, if you, if you were trying to get a loan on a, an eighty thousand dollar loan, you probably couldn't get a loan officer to talk to you uh, a year and a half ago, <laughs> yeah. right? I think that's that's helped, right? Where lenders are going to start needing to be creative to find volume, and so uh, I'm I'm hopeful that a more normal market will will allow some more space for creativity.
0: And how does better data better data also secure cheaper rates for borrowers?
1: Well, again, you know, rates are driven by risk. You know, if you're a high risk uh, borrower, then you're going to have higher uh, interest rate because I'm I'm trying to compensate for the risk. So the way better data helps solve that is if I have better data that shows you're not that high of a credit risk, right? Yes, you might have a might have no credit score, or you might have a 650 credit score, but you've paid your rent on time for five years, you know, I, I may decide to give you a much lower interest rate because you're not actually that big of a risk when it comes to right. your home and your home mm-hmm. payments. So better data actually does drive, does, does drive, oh. you know, uh, lower risk-based pricing.
0: So You touched on this before, but um, over the refinance boom that happened over the past few years, volume was up um, like crazy. People were making a lot of money, Um, although we'd like to believe that people would like to serve underserved communities for the sake of doing good. A lot of people would just like to make more money going forward into this year as we transition um, into higher rates and to more of a purchase market. So everybody, it seems, is trying to figure out how can I keep up my volume? How can I continue to make money? So how does serving the underserved make lenders and brokers more money?
1: Well, you know, one of the numbers that we track here at Maxwell is how many loan applications are coming in per loan officer. And so if you go back to that 2018 to uh, 2019 period, we're seeing as the average loan officer in any given month was, was taking, you know, five to six loan applications. Right. During the during uh, the last couple of years, that peaked to seventeen, eighteen loan applications per month. Right, so we went from four, five, six to kind of seventeen, eighteen uh, a month, and now we're back down into that six, seven per month. And so, um, I think the reason the reason to uh, serve you know a broader swath of homeowners is to maintain your volume and to keep 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 those uh, keep those loans flowing. It's it's an it, candidly, I think it's an untapped opportunity got, um, you know, uh, Hispanic homeowners, I think uh, I saw a forecast the day, they're going to represent um, over 50% of borrowers in, in, in uh, by 2030. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge opportunity, um, you know, get get out there and, and start tapping into that market because it's going to, it's going to be the driver of growth for the next decade.
0: Yeah. We see a lot of lenders now delving into different product types, including non-QM, ARM loans. Um, reverse mortgages, but unserved communities just getting loans and reaching out to them um, s- seems like a, a very lucrative uh, idea.
1: That's right. I think I think, um, you know, uh, it, it certainly is. I mean, doing doing loans is 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 profitable and um, certainly not suggesting someone should, uh, uh, you know, sell a dollar for 80 cents or, or or sorry, sell 80 cents for a dollar. Um, Uh, You know, they they need to make money and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not in in no way suggesting that lending to uh, underserved communities, you'll be losing money.
0: No, no. Do good and make money at the same time. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So speaking of the market going into 2022 Maxwell recently launched an ebook where mortgage experts uh, give their take on the 2022 market so this includes multiple industry experts uh, many are familiar with Rob Chrisman if you aren't we suggest that you check out his blog so can you tell our audience what kind of insight is provided in the ebook
1: yeah I think the ebook does a great job of looking at you know where we are as an industry resetting coming off of the refinance, Boom of the last couple of years, and how lenders need to prepare for going back to normal. Um, you know, the I think the the, the silver lining um, is everybody knew the last two years were amazing and special, and you know, never seen anything like it before. We're actually going into a period where most economists are predicting, you know, two and a half to three trillion dollars of mortgage origination a year. It's a very healthy market. Um, uh, we just need to reset as an industry in terms of what normal looks like, and remember that you know we have to be competitive, right? That we have to do work to get sales, to acquire customers, to serve them well. Um, I think obviously the challenge that we're operating in is a supply one, right? Housing supply is is uh, hopefully bottoming out, but you know we have barely more than two months of supply versus a healthy market of four to six months. And so, you know, that's that's something that I think everybody in the industry has an eye on. And mm-hmm. and then also, you know, wh- where are we going to be from an economic perspective, right? We, we, you know, recession is defined as two, two uh, 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 concurrent um, uh, quarters of, of decline in, in GDP. We, we, we saw one quarter last quarter, we may well be in in a recession already. I think how how is, um, you know, how, how is the economy going to navigate that? How is consumer sentiment uh, demand going to navigate that? I think those are all questions that aren't, aren't, aren't answered and certainly encourage people to pick up the ebook to get some insights from these different experts in terms of how they're interpreting those signals.
0: So do you have any more advice for our listeners, any local lenders out there on what strategies they can take um, uh, to serve these underserved communities?
1: Yeah, I think finding great partners that uh, want to work with you to accomplish your aims, to become profitable, to increase your margins, to drive volume. Uh, you know, so shameless little plug for Maxwell that, you know, we want to work as a, as a great partner to all, all the lenders that are are part of our platform uh, to solve some of these problems and other other challenges that they're going to face this year and next year as we go into a more
0: normal market. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today and sharing those strategies with us. Um, it was definitely an interesting take for our local lenders out there on how to become more competitive and compete with these industry giants as the market consolidates. So thank you, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Katie.
0: Yeah, thank you. This is Gated Communities hosted by me, Katie Jensen for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by TG Kudem Peror and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino and our editor in chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you subscribe to Gated Communities so you get future episodes, and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society, and the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. This podcast was brought to you by Penny Mac TPO. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to learn more about becoming a partner and starting your journey to greatness.